As we begin this morning, I'd like to pray a couple of verses out of Isaiah 53. Um, So if you would bow your heads, let's worship the Lord. It was our weaknesses Jesus carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. When he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, he was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. And those verses, Lord, grieve my heart to know what was demanded of him because what was of what was real in me. And the hope that that does and has meant for me and really for all of us who knew Christ Hope that there can be change. Hope that where we're at doesn't need to be where we're going to be. That the weaknesses and the shortcomings and the ways we are that fail to bring glory to you and fail to bring life to others. and There's hope for that to be different in the future because of Jesus. And so we give thanks for him and uh, pray that this morning you'd speak to us uh, through the Holy Spirit in ways that will help us become all that you meant us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was sitting in a doctor's office on Tuesday morning and uh, doctor was a little late so I was watching a sermon online doctor came in and apologized for being late that doesn't happen often and uh, I said that's all right I was just listening to David Platt's sermon um, at McLean Bible Church the week after he had prayed for Trump and and before I could go any further he said yeah he said my my sister and um, brother-in-law are probably going to leave the church over that what? So if you don't know what this is all about, um, let me fill you in and I'm going to uh, share something that the pastor there said. So on June 2nd, uh, the leaders at McLean Bible Church just outside of D.C., a mega church with six locations there, got a phone call from the Secret Service that President Trump was on the way back from a golf game and he wanted to stop in the church and have them pray for him. Uh, Now, this was the Sunday that uh, I think Franklin Graham had called for a special day of prayer for our president, and it was also right after another mass shooting, and so ostensibly it was to have the pray for the victims of the shooting as well, but none of that was said when he arrived at uh, McLean. Now, this was in the afternoon service. They have four. It's a 1 p.m. service, and so he had... David Platt and another pastor went back behind the stage and had just several minutes with the president privately. Um, He didn't, what he said wasn't made public. I know he shared the gospel with him. Brought him out on stage and prayed a wonderful uh, gospel-shaped prayer over the president. Uh, Prayed for wisdom for him, that God would grant him favor, that, um, that he would exercise justice in his leadership and so forth. President Trump said nothing, went backstage, out the door and left. 
Now this became a massive firestorm of controversy on social media the, later that afternoon, just blew up. Because there were those who were happy about him praying for the president publicly like that, there were those who didn't. And the reasons for those who were unhappy ran the gamut. Everything from uh, we have as a church for all of our history tried very uh, much to distance ourselves from politics to um, what's this say about whether or not we are in favor of uh, President Trump or not, whether we're in favor of him personally, in favor of his policies. Uh, we put ourselves in a position in front of cameras and journalists where they're going to spin stories that might not be true, yada, yada, yada. And so that evening, uh, Pastor Platt crafted a letter to his congregation and sent it out um, the following day. And as he says, the people that he made glad on Sunday, he ended up making mad on Monday. And so he said, in a matter of 24 hours, I was able to make everybody in the church upset with me. And so he was scheduled to leave town the following weekend and decided to cancel those plans and stay in town and address this with his congregation. And I would say if you, um, if you don't ever look at anybody's sermons, you should pull this up online and listen to the message from June 16th at McLean Bible Church. You can get it on their website or on David Platt's website of Radical.net. He normally preaches 40 minutes. That Sunday he preached an hour and five minutes. And the most masterful and uh, especially because of the context of the sermon, most masterful sermon I've ever heard on unity in the body of Christ that should be uh, based on solely Jesus Christ. And that we have differences of opinion on this, that, and the other thing. But our unity is not found on that stuff. It's found on Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ and uh, so when the doctor came in I was listening to this sermon I had not yet read um, his clarification on Monday some people and some news outlets reported that uh, David Platt apologized on Monday for praying for the president he did not do that he acknowledged that there were some people in the church that were hurt by him doing that some people that were upset that he did that for those various reasons not because he should not have prayed for the president that wasn't the issue but this is what he said in early in the message he said this last week didn't just create problems it uncovered problems you could scroll through social media for 60 seconds at any point this week and one conclusion is clear we are sick. Accusations, contempt, derision, division. And it's not just this side or that side. The church is not healthy. Another pastor and I have been working with another local church for the last year and a half to try to help them work through some challenges and and difficult times and uh, one of the things that I've become convinced of is that no church is healthy we are all unhealthy to one degree or another 
And the reason for that is not because we have the wrong kind of policy or because we uh, have some errors in our understanding of side issues. The reason is not because we have a certain kind of person in the church. The reason is because we have people in the church. And if we could just get rid of the people, we'd have a healthy church. Oh, no, we wouldn't. We'd still have the pastors. As long as we have people, we're going to have some measure of unhealth because all of us, when we look in the mirror and we're honest with ourselves, have some measure of unhealth, some areas in our lives where we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Some of those areas we're blind to. That's one of the great advantages of marriage. Do you ever think about, you know this mirror on the side of your car to the right? There's writing on the bottom of you. Have you ever read what it, re- what it says? Anybody know? Objects are closer than they appear. Every time you look at your right-hand mirror, you should be reminded of your own sin. And this is what I mean. You and I see everybody else's sin with such great clarity and understanding and specificity. If you need to know how you can grow and improve, just see me. Conversely, my sins, my shortcomings, my weaknesses, they're way back there. And they're really little, but your stuff is big and up close. I wonder how many of you this morning, for example, snapped at one of your kids on the way to church. Or maybe even before you ever got in the car. I wonder how many of us were depressed this week. Couldn't find joy if it was on the dresser counter. I wonder how many of you have finally tired of helping ungrateful people. Or haven't forgiven someone from something they did 30 years ago. We don't know very much about each other, do we? If we're honest. We come in on a Sunday morning and we have the nicest clothes. Well, I do have a suit. But we put on good clothes. We we put on the kinds of clothes that we want people to see us in. And we want them to look just right. We we want to have them clean. And for example, I was going to wear this shirt last Sunday, but I didn't. That's because between when I put it on and when I got here, I was eating cherries. You can figure out the rest. But we look our best. We have our hair done just right. We've showered. We've shaved. We've put perfume or cologne on. Because we want people to perceive us as put together. Not just externally, but we're hoping that the external will convey that the internal is put together as well. And yet we're hiding all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of weaknesses, all kinds of shortcomings, all all kinds of sins. For example, I bet you don't know that I'm lazy. I bet you don't know that I'm impatient. I bet you don't know that if we have a conversation and you and I disagree... 
I'm probably right. I bet you don't know that I worry about money. I bet you don't know that I don't instinctively love people. I love people that have bring certain things to the table that I admire and I feel comfortable with. But if you've got some character flaws, I don't love you instinctively. You may not know that I'm self-centered and self-absorbed. And that's the short list. And you have a list like that too. And if you're not sure what it is, ask your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents or the people you work with because they can help you. Heaven is ahead, but even here on earth, we have been called to a far richer life than some of us now experience. And some of us long for that. We like, if I could just get over being this way, my life would change and and God would be honored more and I could be a blessing to the church more and people would like me more. If I could just go there, but I don't seem to be able to do that. How can we change? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how is it that you can change, how is it that we do change? That's the question we're going to wrestle with this morning. Last week we were talking about how the Holy Spirit can help us be ministers of the gospel in ways that bear fruit rather than just going through the motions, just keeping the machinery going. You remember that quote we had last week from A.W. Tozer who said that 95%, if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the church today, 95% of what we do in the church would continue on as usual and nobody would know the difference. And on the other hand, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the early church, the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. In other words, ministry is not just about signing up for something. It's not just about showing up for something. It is about being transformed by the Holy Spirit and because of that, bearing fruit in the ministries we have. And same thing today, I want to talk about this in terms of personal transformation. Our life is the way it is today. How can it be differently, different tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? Our text, as some of you might Imagine it's Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. <clears throat> so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, by the way, if you have a version other than the New Living Translation that I'm reading out of, your text probably says not sinful nature, but flesh. Most translations use the word the flesh. That is what the Greek word is. The problem with flesh is there are a a number of other directions that word pulls our minds. The flesh that we have on our arms, on our bodies, uh, but also especially the flesh when we think about things like sexual sins. And so the sinful nature is, is, is more this element that with, is within us that draws us to do what pleases us rather than what pleases God. Sinful nature. 
The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Now that might sound like something out of left field, but the law of Moses has been something that Paul has been fighting against this entire book uh, because these Jewish Christians were wanting to go back to obey the law of Moses for this reason. They thought by doing so that it would give them the power to live a life that's conformed to Jesus Christ. And Paul says that's not true. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. These are sex sins and sex uh, temptations, idolatry, sorcery, and then he moves into the sins that we commit with one another. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So we know he's not talking about an exhaustive list. Other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And we're going to mainly focus on 16 to 25. Now let me just review a couple of things. For us, we're in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's guidance and the following week on the Spirit's gifts. But to repeat, the Holy Spirit is God. He's not one God among many. Um, despite what our Muslim friends accuse us of, Christians do not worship three gods. We worship one God. There is a single Godhead who is in three persons, not three parts, not three aspects, not three things, not three ways, not three manifestations, three persons. The Holy Spirit is a person just as much as Jesus is a person, just as much as God the Father is a person. He can be grieved. He has the characteristics of personhood. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and he is living in the lives of all people who are followers of Jesus. No matter how good of a Christian you are, no matter what denomination of a Christian you are, no matter how uh, accurate you are with your doctrine, if you are a follower of Jesus and a right, uh, true follower of his, you are a right and true host of the Holy Spirit in your life. He lives in all believers. Now, a couple of things we want to say about this text this morning. We need to start with verse 40, uh, 24, so start at the end rather than the beginning. 
the foundation of the fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you and that work and that he can do work within you is uh, the cross itself. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. When we said yes to Jesus, we got the benefits of his work on the cross for us, the blood that was shed there and the substitute that he became for our sins. All those, all those benefits came to the believer at the moment of salvation. You became a child of God and you became righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus did for you. You got the Holy Spirit. And what happened to this sin nature in, in your life was that it was crucified. Galatians 2.20, some of you have that memorized, and says, so my old self or my old sin nature has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So the foundation, the platform of how we can change is the cross. That's where it all starts. That's where it all begins. And so when you get stuck and feel like something needs to change in my life and yet it doesn't seem like it ever can, look back to the cross again. This is the reason we sang that last song. And I, I hate when the worship team sings that song, Anastasis. Because I cannot, I mean, even before we start singing a word, I'm in tears because when I think about what Jesus has done for me and what that means today in terms of power, I'm just overwhelmed. It's not just, a mis, it's not just a, an act that took place in history. It's an, it's an act that took place in history that now has benefits now today and has the potential to change you and I in ways we can't imagine. I mean, the power is there because of what Jesus did for us. I really don't hate that song. I love the song, but it gets to me. All right, so that's the foundation. We want to spend our time, the rest of our time talking about battles. So my second point in this text is that there is a battle taking place in what I'm going to call the orchard, the orchard of our lives, where fruit is being born all the time. There is a battle 24-7 taking place in that orchard. Verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are what? What's the next word? Constantly. They are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free. In other words, there's an impediment in the way. You are not free to carry out your good intentions. Oh, you want to become like this, but it doesn't seem like it's automatic. You want to stop doing this, but it doesn't seem like it's automatic. How do, how do I get there? The first thing you have to realize is that there is a war going on in your orchard. And it is constant. And if you forget that, you are going to try to fix yourself in ways that don't stick. You're going to go out and buy the latest self-help book and you're going to read it. You're going to go uh, meet with a friend and they're going to become your accountability partners. You're going to get a counselor. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying those things will be, can't be beneficial. They can and they are. But if you expect to be changed in the heart, 
in the inner man, in the inner woman, in such a way that it's going to be transformational in your life, you've got to deal with the heart. And you have to deal with a war that's taking place in your life, moment by moment by moment. There is a war, a battle between the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit in your life. And so the sinful nature is trying to get you to produce its kind of fruit. And the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to produce his kind of fruit. Now, just to give you a little historical uh, context, before you were a Christian, you had a sinful nature and it was king in your life. That doesn't mean that you did everything bad every time you turned around. People could look at you and say, yeah, you were a pretty good person even though you weren't a Christian. Here's the difference. The sin nature is determined to get you to do what is good for you. The Holy Spirit is determined to get you to do what is good for God. And even if you, even the nice things that you would do, do when you were, uh, uh, before you were a Christian were primarily done for your own benefit. So I want to be a good person. I want to be a nice person. So these people will admire, admire me. They will think well of me. So it's all about me. That's what the sinful nature is after. Getting you, getting me to think all about me. And the Holy Spirit is desiring that we think all about God and seek his, his glory. And so it used to be that the, holy, uh, the sinful nature was king in our lives and he ruled our lives. But the Bible says that that sinful nature is now crucified, right? Galatians 2.20, now crucified. And as Romans 6, the entire chapter says that the power of that sinful nature has been snapped. It's been broken. Uh, Romans 6.14, sin is no longer your master. But it is a mistake to think that it no longer has any clout. Here's the difference. Back in that day, it had clout all by itself. It was energized by self. It was energized by the world. It was energized by Satan himself. Now its clout has been broken and it only gets it again if I give it to it. The sinful nature only has leverage in my life if I give it leverage. Sin is no longer my master, but sometimes I choose, just like you do, to make it my master all over again for the moment, for the hour, for the day, and sometimes for the months. No longer my master. We should stop here and talk about verse 21. The end of verse 21 says this, and uh, We should read that with great soberness. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, what sort of life? A life that's marked by lustful pleasures, a life that's marked by quarreling, a life that's marked by dissension, all of those things that he talked about and things like these. If your life is, if a person's life is marked by those things, doesn't say if it ever occurs, but if it's marked by those things, let me tell you again, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That person is not a believer. That person is not a Christian. Doesn't mean that a Christian never, go, never appeals to the sinful nature again and gets drunk. Doesn't mean that a Christian never has quarrels with others. Doesn't mean that a person looks at porn uh, here or there, that they're not a Christian but if that marks your life 
ask yourself a very, very sober question. Because your eternity hangs in the balance. It hangs in the balance. That's the gloomy part. Let's keep going. There's more hopeful parts than that. I just want you to know that your sinful nature and my sinful nature is still alive and still able to produce fruit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let me show you what Paul says to some Christians that had, this was what was happening in their lives. Verse 1, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. How to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you're still not ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. So this is a picture of someone who is still reverting back to the spirit or to the sinful nature's control, but he sees them as Christians. You're still controlled for your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another. You quarrel with one another. In other words, these interpersonal uh, sins. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? So you're not part of the world, but you're living like you're in the world. You see, the intent was that, that the way God dealt with a sin nature at the cross was that it'd be like this tree. So your sin nature is like a pear tree. And when you're not a child of God, it's just covered with pears. There's all kinds of fruit on that tree. As God does a work of grace in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, after you say yes to Jesus, the prayer, the prayers, yeah, the pears begin to go away. And there's fewer and fewer clusters of pears here. People are seeing less and less of that fruit of the sinful nature. And praise God for that. What we want to do what we're after this morning is how can we see fewer and fewer pears on that tree and more of God's kind of fruit. So let's get down to verse 22. Here's the, here's the sweet stuff. Here's the good stuff in this text. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Contrast to that kind of fruit. Produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it says the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you, we're going to do a little poll here, how many of you think that word fruit is singular? How many of you think that word fruit is plural? It's always the majority that's wrong. That should be, that should be say something to us. It's singular. The word fruit is not fruits. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason that that matters is because some Christians will look at this list and say, well, Pastor Keith, you know, I'm really good with patience. I just am such a patient person and it doesn't matter what people do to me. I'm just such a patient person and I can say, ah, just let live, live and let live. I do have a little bit of a problem with Self-control, well, to be honest, I have a lot of problems with self-control, but some people are into self-control. I'm into patience. Other people are into peace. I'm into joy. No, no, it's fruit. In other words, the, God is saying these are the kinds of things 
that the Holy Spirit brings into the life of the believer as we respond to his work of grace in us. In other, and I think it's valuable from time to time for us just to sit down with that list in 22 and 3 and say, and just pray over it. Say, God, is my life marked by love for people? Is my life marked by love for you? Is my life marked by joy or am I a bundle of nerves and anxieties and depression and feeling despairing most of the time? Is my life marked by peace or am I always on edge and I'm always tense and I'm always concerned about what's going to happen next? Is my my life marked by patience or am I, do I snap at people and I... I just let them know you, you, you interrupted me or I don't have time to talk about this. Is my life marked by these things? Because this is the man and the woman and the boy or girl that God is out to make in us. Husband, this is the man that your wife wants you to be. Wife, this is the, man, this is the woman that your husband wants you to be. Children, this, this, these are the kids that your parents are praying that you will be. And parents, these are the people that your children are hoping you will be as well. What an amazing picture of not only the people that God wants us to be and has designed us to be, but Jesus manifested in his life here on earth. Now, the question that comes out of this, now there's something I want to say here before I go on. So verses 16 on down to verse 21 talks about the fruit of the sinful nature. And then we get 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit. This is a powerful passage to give to someone that you have concerns about their salvation. They claim to be a Christian, but their lives are just pretty much consistently fleshly, pretty much consistently sinful nature. Give them this text. Have them read it to you out loud and say, my friend, I, I love you too much not to bring this up. And that's really what, what you're doing. It, it, it takes courage to do that and, it has to be, and it's going to be marked by love. It's not loving to let people who might be lost go on thinking they're found. Take this text to give it to them. I've done this with a number of people. Say, my friend, would you just read these verses? Read 16 to 23. And then you compare are you more, uh, is your life more marked by the fruit of the sinful nature or by the fruit of the Spirit? And it may not be that you're lost, but that should be a great wake-up call for somebody. Love, if you have somebody like that in your life, love them enough to try, try that. So the question about the fruit of the Spirit is, is the fruit automatic for us? Is the fruit automatic, just like we were talking last week, is my ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit apart from anything I do? The fact that I have the Spirit, is, is that enough? Is that all that it takes? And the same with this. Am I going to change simply because the Spirit lives in me? Or is there something I need to do in order to have that Holy Spirit power released in me? And my last point this morning is that we do indeed need to battle for change in our lives. That we are battling for change. Look at verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's a command, and yet it's a passive command. We are to, something needs to be done. We don't do the action, but we make allowance or make room for the action. You let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You know, somebody is injured, 
like Chuck here, he's got a broken arm. And somebody says, um, I want to help you with this. And he says, no, I don't want you to help me. And, and we say, let me do it. In other words, you're, you're stopping me from helping you. And, and so we're called to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Verse 18. Um, but you are, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Verse uh, 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, and he lives in us, let us follow the Spirit. Again, there's a command there. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In other words, walk with him, be directed by him, and follow him. He's got the initiative, but we can either follow him or we can fight him. You say, well, I don't understand what that looks like. Let me try to help us with Ephesians 4 and then just flesh it out with a couple of comments. Ephesians 4, beginning verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus, so again, he's going back to the cross. This is all rooted what you what I call you to do, what I ask you to do, what you need to do is all rooted in what Jesus did for you and the relationship that you have uh, in him. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off, here's action, here's a command. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now even reading that, we might ask, I'm still not sure what he means. I'm still not sure how to put off or throw off that sinful nature. I'm not sure how to put on the new nature. So let me give you a couple of basics. Our combat is a mixture of active and passive. And it all starts, our response to God always starts the same way. Martin Luther said all of life, all the Christian life is repentance. All the Christian life is repentance. And so to take off, whether it's at the initial conversion or ongoing challenges in our life, to take off that sinful nature means to repent. I start by saying, God, I agree with you that that's wrong. Whether, it's the, whether, whether we think of it as a, a big sin or a small sin, whether it's just quarreling or just angry, or it's something like uh, having affairs on my husband or my wife, all the same in God's eyes, God's eyes all brokenness, all needs to have the same sort of medicine. I start by repentance. God, I repent. I agree with you about my sin and I change my mind about it. That's where it starts, repentance. And then we're praying for the Holy Spirit to help us, just like we're asking him for our help, his help in ministry. God, I can't change apart from you. I can't get it done from the outside in. I need it done from the inside out. Uh, did you ever think about all the self-help books that are out and like an amazon.com it's like who buys them people like you and me people like you and me that want help 
But did you ever notice that books on things like jealousy, on things like anger, are soon eclipsed by another bestseller? Why is that? Because the previous bestseller didn't fix anybody's heart. I remember back earlier in our marriage and Betty and I were having some problems. Uh, They were all her fault, but I thought I would see if I could do something to help things. And I remember going to a Christian bookstore and buying a book entitled The Christian Husband. And I'm thinking about the work of that God has done in my life over the years. I, by the way, I still have that book. It was a good book. And I have a lot of books that I've lear- learned a lot of things out of. But learning things alone won't change your life. Won't change your heart. That's the business of God. And if you, if you, if you think that you've been hearing the word prayer too much in this series... Buckle up, you're going to hear more about it because that is what releases the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. And that's what we need. Oh, we're so, we're so inclined to think, I can fix this myself. I can put this together myself. Some of you are struggling with problems that you have worked at and worked at and worked at maybe for decades And you don't know if it's ever going to change. And yet if you're honest with yourself, you have never come to the end of yourself and turned it over to God. Say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm just making a mess of it left and right. God, I need you to put me back together. Repent and then pray to God for the Holy Spirit's help. And then the last part, and this is the major part of combat, That is to follow the Spirit's lead because you and I are going to be in situations where we feel this, you know, the the comedians talk about this like the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, you know. You've got this voice trying to tell you, go this way, and you've got this voice saying, no, no, go this way. Well, we know theologically, no, that's not the way it is. We have the sin nature telling us to do one thing and we have God telling us to do something else. And our sin nature is going to always be pleasing myself and the Holy Spirit is always going to be calling me to please God. Which, what are you going to decide? What are you going to decide that next time? That's where the rubber really meets the road. The language of spiritual warfare has been common in the evangelical parlance for 40, 50 years now. And we often perceive it as uh, holy angels of God are doing battle with demons uh, on our behalf and so forth. And there is an element of that. But if if, if our thinking around spiritual warfare either is preoccupied with that um, or or that's all there is, we've missed the main spiritual warfare. here, Here it is. This is the main spiritual warfare. Our sin nature trying to lead us down the road that brings sorrow to our lives and sorrow to the Lord's heart and sorrow to the church and sorrow to our families. And so the last piece is going to be, do I follow his lead? Keep in step with the Spirit. Be directed by the Spirit, or don't I? And as we close this morning, I want you to think about that one thing that my guess is at least some of you have been thinking exclusively about for the last 20 minutes. 
some aspect of your life that you acknowledge, you know, this is central in this is a central impediment in my life, whether it affects my marriage or affects my relationship with my kids or whether it affects um, my fellowship with the Lord or my fellowship with my church. This one thing is my big stumbling block right now. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to just go through what we just described. I want you to repent and then ask God for his help and then say, by your grace, by your grace, the very next time, the very next time I'm faced with this choice, do God's way or my way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick God's way. And if I choose not to do that, I'm going to make it right afterwards with a person as a means of doing ongoing combat with my sin nature. Just do it right where you're at. See, Say, God, this is the area that I know you want to see change in my life. And today I repent of that. And please help me turn the corner. And by your grace... Next time I'm faced with that choice, I'm going to do it your way. Father, I'm so grateful that being changed more and more into the likeness of Christ is not a solo effort. It's not something that is likely just if I get it right, if I'm smart enough or I'm, if I'm, I have enough determination to kind of grind it out. Thanks for the spirit that lives within us. And I want to put my amen on my brothers and sisters who've just prayed to you about something specific. Now do it and, and let them see this. Let them have a glimpse of the authority that the Holy Spirit can have in our lives let him lead instead of the sinful nature and we recognize that in this life we're going to stumble we're still made of flesh we still have this sinful nature we're going to stumble again and again and to be grateful for your grace when we do but never to assume this kind of defeatist attitude that well that's the way it is but to be mindful that the grace is also given for success and not just after failure. 
and then therein we might find great hope. I pray for brothers and sisters, Lord, who have a this area of struggle that they're not even aware of. And maybe this afternoon, a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend or a roommate may have the opportunity to have a, an honest conversation with them. I pray for that person to give them the kind of love that will enable them to do that and to speak that message in love that the person with the blind spot would hunger to see your transforming power in their lives and seek it. We love you. Thank you for Jesus who's made it all possible. We pray in his name. Amen.